Welcome to the Books Brothers Podcast, where each week we read, discuss, and challenge each other to become better men and have a few laughs in the process. It's a new year, and we're ringing in 2024 by cracking open a new book. The Books Brothers are currently reading Scarcity Brain, written by Michael Easter. This week, we're going to discuss the book's introduction and first two chapters. The chapters are short, but packed with information, so I hope we do a good job of getting the point across. Regardless, I definitely suggest you read this one. It's already so good. So as always, thanks for listening. We would love it if you shared your thoughts by emailing us at connect at booksbrotherspodcast.com. Are you a younger sibling that all you got was beat up when you were younger? Do you want to get your siblings back for all that childhood trauma they caused you? Now introducing Brick Pillow. This memory foam pillow has actually taken on the biological and chemical properties of a pound of bricks. Use this weapon to not only win your next pillow fight, but to inflict severe everlasting pain. Also available in marble, concrete, and Egyptian red porphyry. Brick pillow. Hit them straight in the jaw. <laughs> oh, violence. <laughs> what happens, though, whenever your mom walks in <laughs> in your birth? Your brother's Say, laying on the ground. <laughs> how'd that pillow get like that, Mom? <laughs> so I was in a pillow fight at a church lock-in in middle school. Mm. You know, it's just fun, fun and games until one of the high school leaders hit me in the face with a pillow that had a Game Boy in it. <laughs> and it hit me right in the mouth and chipped my tooth. So yes. this one, that tooth is half fake. <laughs> Was that Game Boy <laughs> Color or Game that Boy Advance? That tooth is fake, you said? I don't know. Half of it is fake. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Damn, Have you dude. seen that UFC has like a like a pillow fight division now? The UFC does? <laughs> yes. <No>. Look it up. <laughs> Gosh. Literally, guys get in a ring and just slap <laughs> each other with pillows. Is the brick is the brick pillow regulation? Oh is that God. allowed? Oh, That's amazing. So funny. We have a contract with the UFC. Nice. Oh yeah. Was that hard to yeah. get into? No man, Jake Paul's gonna feature it in in his next fight. Nice, <laughs> nice. Have you guys seen the slap fighting competitions? <laughs> Those are great. Yes. Oh man, Slots. so brutal. It's hard to watch. All right, everyone, welcome back. We're going to discuss the book's introduction and the first couple chapters this week. But the chapters are pretty short, but they're packed with information, so we'll try to get through it. So, Scarcity Brain, the introduction of the book talks about the author's experience as he traveled to Iraq to get the scoop on an extremely addictive amphetamine drug called Captagon. His experience led him to wonder... Everyone knows everything is fine in moderation, but why do we suck so bad at moderating? Why do we keep eating when we're full? Why do we shop so much, drink too much, consume too much entertainment? Why are we stuck doing the same thing we regret over and over? These questions inspired the book we're reading, and we chose to read this book because obviously our brains are a little scarce, but... Also, because we thought the answers to these questions would be extremely helpful for us and anyone else living in the modern world. So, chapter one gets into something called the scarcity loop. 
compulsively doing things we regret doing over and over, but we don't really feel like we always have control over. That's kind of the essence of the scarcity loop. Your brain kind of gets stuck in this self-sustaining feedback loop. And the chapter kind of explains that as animals, we're all hardwired to follow instinctual cues related to scarcity. These cues give that old familiar feeling that we might not have enough. So we have to keep doing these repetitive actions to get enough. These ancient signals developed in animals' brains as they did things like search for food and water. Back then, the scarcity brain aided in the survival of our ancestors, but now that the world has changed, our brains can get hijacked by a modern environment where everything we need to survive is abundant. So, what do you guys think is the most annoying, difficult, or destructive form of a scarcity loop you or the people you know and love have been caught in? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is social media. I mean, when it comes to social media, like everyone, most everyone, I feel like hates how much they're on it. They talk about how they want to get off of it. They may share a story of how they, you know, they took a a three-month break at one point or a month break at one point. I think in general, we're just addicted to our phones, right? Picking up the phone, checking it, picking up the phone, checking it. With social media, we see it really playing out in that it's this thing that people are always kind of ashamed of how much time they spend on it. And ultimately, they don't really want to be doing it that much. And I feel like a lot of of times social media, too, people, their perception of what they use it for is kind of off. People are like, oh, I use it the same thing as people are, like, see this or that. But, like, at the end of the day, like, people use it for, you kind of just, like, scroll mindlessly. It's kind of just, like, a way to numb your mind. I feel like on, on the male side, there's guys who, like, yeah, there's inappropriate content time that guys will find themselves, like, getting caught up with and comparison becomes a really big thing with social media where mm-hmm. you know it makes you compare your life to others and yeah i think it's something that most people if you were to like survey most people most people would say that they don't like how much they're on it but yet they're not like planning on leaving you know yeah 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 we spend way more time than we think on it too what what's the what's the thing on social media that you feel like captivates your attention the most recently I feel like I get a lot of videos of like like car crash compilations mm. or <laughs> stupid stuff like yeah. that or like street fights or something like that. <laughs> For a little while, I like I would. And I just can't I can't tear myself away. It's yeah. like watching a train wreck. <laughs> for, for a little for a little while, like one that I would like I was curious and like watching and it's again, sounds like a really weird one. Parents going going nuts at youth sport events. Like parents like freaking out, <laughs> and I don't know. It's like one of these things. It's just like interesting, right? You get caught up in it. Yeah. Who does? Who doesn't want to watch that for forty-five minutes? <laughs> really, no one does, right? But like, you watch one, and then like, then you're like, an hour in, you're like, well, yeah. The ones for me that I get kind of sucked into are people scaring other people, mm. and the person oh, getting scared those. just freaks out. Or like fail videos of people just falling down or skateboarding and they just have this gnarly, nasty fall, things Mm. like that. Have you guys seen the scare video where they woke somebody up by sucking their face with a (laughs) vacuum? (laughs) I feel like I've seen that one. I regret not doing that to you guys (laughs) in college. 
<laughs> so next time we're all hanging out, better watch out. I feel out. like Garrett's reaction would be like amazing to that. <laughs> He's not here too, so he yeah. can't defend himself. But yeah, I would. My first thought for that question, Thomas, what's the most annoying, difficult, or destructive form of a scarcity loop? Was yeah, mobile phones. Even yeah. for me, throughout my day, if I'm just standing there or doing something mindless, like filling up a water bottle, my immediate next action is to pull up my phone and start looking at it. Mm-hmm. Whether that's yeah. Instagram or checking messages or emails, really anything. Just constantly looking at my phone. And I see other people do that too. Yeah, it's tough because it's like we use it, like you were saying, Stalin, to be connected. But even at home here and with my wife, it's like I sometimes struggle to remain connected with the person right in front of me because I'm trying yeah. to, quote, connect with all the other people that aren't in front of me. And so it, it reminds me of a funny story that I got together with my uncle and my family, like, five, seven years ago before like social media and phones were like even as crazy as they are now. And my uncle, we were out to eat and he saw this older couple, like, I don't know, 40s, mid 40s. And they were both on their phone at dinner. And he went up to them and he was like, now, when you guys go out, do you typically like do this where you just like are on (laughs) each other's phones and you don't talk to each other? (laughs) And I think he caught them so off guard because it's true. We say we're going to do these things and connect with people or, you know, get together with buddies, but then we're both looking at our phones and it's like, how do we be more present with people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, just reflecting on this for myself outside of like phone usage, I would say food. Mm. Like I find myself never satisfied from like a food standpoint and obviously working for a confectionery chocolate company. I literally have been sent home with pounds of chocolate, over 20 pounds of chocolate I have currently at, at my house. And there's some of that food. There's chocolate (laughs) all over the office right now. The bowls get stocked uh, every day. There's new flavors that come out and like, Hmm. I'm I'm literally probably having five to 10 pieces of chocolate every single day. Almost like we're losing control of ourselves and our restraint and practicing uh, self-control because we want that, uh, that opportunity to be rewarded. And if it's quick and it's repeatable and it, solves the problem of my hunger desire, then I'm going to continue to do it. It gets out of yeah. hand, especially right now. I, as, as you were saying that, Rob, what I was reminded of is, so this book is by Michael Easter. I think we had mentioned it in our last episode, but our first book that we did as a book club was The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. One thing I recall him talking about that book was our desire for comfort and as he relates to it, it, as he related it to food, he was talking about like, when was the last time you were hungry? And like, that's really like stuck with me. And yeah. Rob, like, like yourself, I'm, I, I love chocolate, just a plain piece of dark chocolate. And it's like, when you think about it, like, that's like purely a luxury. Like you don't ever like eat that cause you're hungry. 
but I mean, I, I feel similar to you where it's like, I try to like remind myself sometimes like, no, like it's good to be hungry, but it's difficult whenever we like, we live in homes where you've got like your kitchen's close. Maybe you like did a grocery run recently. And it's like, oh, there's food, like stock pantry and that kind of thing. What do you guys think about, I feel like one that, so, you know, we're all in our early thirties now, one that's a big issue and for a lot of people in their 20s is alcohol. And I think some people, as you get into their 30s, it kind of starts to resolve a little bit. May or may not. Some people might get worse. But what do you all think about that as it relates to, as Thomas relates to this question? I mean, definitely a very destructive one if it's not, you know, practiced in moderation. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. I feel like alcohol is a really small, like, piece of a bigger category called any, like, mood enhancers or mood alterers or something that alters kind of your your state of being you know like i think alcohol could be lumped in as it pertains to the scarcity loop alcohol could be lumped in with basically any drug that changes the way you feel or or think or 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 whatever you know so i was going to mention that actually you know cell phones and all that stuff stuff are pretty prevalent they're probably one of the most common familiar scarcity loops that the average person deals with in the u.s but probably one of the most destructive or the most destructive is anything that kind of alters your mood and you feel like you have to go back to it even if you don't want to you know you you just find yourself habitually having to i think it definitely falls into that scarcity loop even if you're not addicted to alcohol don't quote me on this i'm not an expert and i haven't actually read any research but really any alcohol consumption is bad for you in the long run like for your brain and your liver liver right that'd be the main Mm -hmm. organ well so it's interesting though matt because there actually is stuff that would say that yes it has destructive functions on like the on on the liver but there are they say people who could drink on average like one drink a day tend to live longer there's some thoughts on that as to why that's the case obviously if you go past the one then it actually has a negative effect on like long term like like life expectancy and such but i mean there's 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 been seems to be some benefits but like to what extent and like why are the benefits there is there maybe a another factor playing a role but yeah either either way it's something that you know we're like you said we're still fairly young in our lower 30s but it's definitely something that we could see have a negative effect later on i think that's one of the things that he mentions in the book is a lot of these things no matter what they are they may not we may not see the consequences right away it might happen later on uh days later or years later yeah alcohol can definitely play into that yeah Stalen, I'll I'll just build on it just because obviously passionate about it. And I know you are too, but the the pornography piece as well, I'd say that's more destructive than alcohol. I know a lot of young boys and even girls get wrapped into that early on. The, The opportunity is there because it's at our fingertips and there's so many forums in which it can be viewed and participated in. And then the unpredictable rewards of literally not knowing what's behind the next click yeah. and the next video, the next release. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's that suspense. 
that comes in and then it's obviously super repeatable because it's available whenever in any forum. I would say that would be the most destructive one that people get caught in. Yeah. You know, you meant, you guys mentioned addiction and, you know, to drugs or alcohol or porn, whatever. And a lot of that comes with shame. Right. And I remember when we talked about some of the masks in the last book where kind of as men were wired a certain way, uh, kind of out the gate, we talked about how like there's a certain amount of shame once you learn about, you know, how you're naturally wired, there's a certain amount of shame that you can let go of because you can realize, okay, a little bit of this is kind of built in me and yeah. I've just been putting myself in the wrong environment and falling into these patterns, right? So a little bit of it's kind of like, well, that's kind of my nature and that's, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of that that's my nature. But if if you don't realize it and change it, then, you know, that's probably where a lot of the shame sticks around. And uh, that that brings us to the scarcity loop. I feel like the more we can learn about this in terms of, you know, how our brain operates and why it goes back and does these patterns over and over, maybe the easier it is to kind of let go of some of them because you don't feel that weird shame following a hour and a half scroll session on Facebook or whatever when you didn't yeah. want to or or, you know, doing something that you regret because you're just stuck in this, this pattern that kind of seems like it's inevitable. So hopefully this book helps us in that sense too. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. If you're a former bookie put out of work by all the recent sports book apps that have launched in the last few years, we have great news for you. Book the Rooks is a headhunting agency specializing in job placement for down and out bookies with the government hitting you with the double whammy, first legalizing sports gambling state by state, then ending COVID unemployment benefits and forcing you to actually work, you're probably in the job market. Rest assured, through relationship building and a streamlined placement process, Book the Rooks has developed state-of-the-art partnerships with some of the best industries in the world. Some of the most popular job transitions for ex-bookies that we work with are medicinal marijuana stores, recreational marijuana stores, vape stores, liquor stores, thrift stores, and big lots. At Book the Rooks, we understand it's hard transitioning from questionably moral and legal work to a W-2 paying job. Let Book the Rooks handle your employment placement needs. Call 1-800-NEED-JOB to get your application process started today. That's 1-800-NEED-JOB. And now back to the show. The, uh, the, the origins of this scarcity mindset and this loop pattern are discussed and this chapter talks about how there are three main parts of this pattern and the first part is opportunity and the opportunity you could imagine an animal looking around and saying to itself i could get some food if i search for it there's an opportunity for me to get what i need to survive so that animal gets hyper-focused on the possibilities of the rewards that it could find if, if it took action and followed this opportunity. The second part is that there are unpredictable rewards. 
So this animal might say, if I look over here in that bush, maybe I'll find some berries to eat. It might be a little bit, it might be a lot, maybe I won't, maybe I'll just live there and eat berries my whole life because I won't have to go anywhere else, you know. So there's all these possibilities in its mind, which cause us to fixate on suspenseful situations, it enhances our focus on that feeling of anticipation. And this is actually the part of the cycle where chemicals like dopamine are released. We're chasing something that's pleasurable. It's on the horizon. You know, this is really what drives a lot of action towards what you need to give yourself to survive. This is kind of a reward in and of itself because of the the dopamine hit that you get when you're anticipating and chasing something. And notably, if you get to that bush that you thought maybe there were some berries at and you don't find any, you still got a little bit of a reward because of the feelings and the dopamine that was kind of released in your brain. So we'll talk about how that's used today in kind of a manipulative way in a sense. And then the last part is the quick repeatability of this um, loop, because a loop can't really be something that continues to be repeated unless it's easy to repeat again and again. So you can imagine this animal finding some berries, eating those berries and saying, wow, this whole searching thing that I started out doing led me to eat and survive. So let's do it again. Let's search for another bush with berries on it. And the faster that you can repeat any action that leads to this cycle, the more likely it is it's going to lead you back to this pattern and and you're going to create like a, a positive feedback loop. So I guess my question to you guys is before we, we started reading this book, did you guys already know this uh, about the brain or about like our tendencies? And if you did or you didn't, do you think knowing this now means you'll not get stuck in these loops again? Or are we just doomed? I think we're just doomed. <laughs> Me too. I think we're doomed too. I mean, it's like one of these things where it's like you, I feel like most people know what they should do or like what they ought to do. It's yeah. the execution where we struggle. And if you think, think about things like very scientifically and if you're always on like your kind of like best behavior, you can think through things rationally and make decisions. But ultimately, we don't logically process everything like that. You know, we have a lot of emotional component that comes in. And put it like very simply, like life is more complex than that is really the mm -hmm. way I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, there's the awareness that comes with it. So I think by becoming more aware, we can be more cognizant of not falling slave or victim to a lot of these things. One word that's definitely stuck out in these first couple chapters is slave. It just goes to show you how slave we are to our phones yeah. or our like what we desire, our dire, our desires or um, how we want to satisfy ourselves. There are examples, some really good examples that are used in the section of the book that, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like if your car dies, it was one of the examples and... You try and turn it on and you turn the key and nothing happens. It's like, okay, you're probably only going to try so much. But if you turn it and like on the second or third try, you start to hear a sound. It's like, oh, okay. I'm, it sounds like there's life. Let me continue to try because I've been rewarded with a sound that like changes potentially the outcome. 
just little things like that. It's like, I don't know that many people are going to be like, oh man, that's a scarcity loop. I'm not going to continue to try. Yeah. Like they want to get their car <laughs> yeah. going. So they're going to continue to try. But just that awareness of like, how are, how, like how the chemicals, the dopamine, and I, I thought it was cool. I think it's in the second chapter, but it's dopamine is in the pursuing and anticipating, not in the actual receiving of a thing. So just and the this thought helps with of like, persistence. Oh, yeah, just that persistence that like, oh man, if I continue to pursue it or anticipate it, whatever it is, that alone is a high rather than actually getting my car to turn on or rather hitting the jackpot and things like that. So I don't know. We'll see what Michael Easter has to say. Maybe we're there not fully doomed, but early on my take is we live in a world that we are consumers of things. There's always going to be some company some whatever trying to you know get our attention yeah. have us buy into it maybe having a greater awareness that just because some ad is running and some sales going on that hey if i don't actually need that product then maybe i don't buy it i would yeah i mean i would say the scarcity loop does a lot more for us than it hurts us in the long run because literally everything we do to survive is is kind of on account of this scarcity loop occurring in our lives for better or worse. So it's like, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and just be like scarcity loop bad because <laughs> it creates these patterns in our lives that are actually really positive. That really has allowed us to survive all this time and flourish, you know, like the fact that we keep trying to, find a reward regardless of whether we'll actually get it or not makes us persistent enough to like really be a species that has accomplished a lot of things. So yeah. I guess you just have to find the right loops to follow and the right ones to like, let go of. Yeah. Going back a little bit to what you were saying, Rob, I really appreciated and and it's kind of hits further on what you were saying there too, as well, Thomas, but I like how he talked about, how he discussed like dopamine because i do feel like dopamine is basically viewed as <clears throat> almost like you know we talk about like dopamine nation like the documentary we talk about like how dopamine's like what's causing all these problems and like that but i really like how he talked about how it's like no like dopamine's like it's like natural it's like a part of our like our homeostasis for our body it's like what helps us to live and yep. it's really just trying to figure out what kind of, you know, are we giving in to really, it's like kind of like more guilty pleasure style things and, and such. Are we letting, you know, habits plan us that cause destruction, essentially? Yeah, maybe I guess we'll get into it as we read more of this book. But one of my hopes for this book is to get the the why behind it, why some of these things are bad, because these are things that I've heard before, like I've heard the casino story before. It may have been in another book that we read or just randomly uh, in the last couple of years, but the psychology of why people are drawn to some of these things like a slot machine or video games or things like that, or even just in everyday life, you know, you see, people tell others to put their phone down. Like <laughs> we see that with <laughs> teens in TV shows. They're just 
staring down at their phone during dinner time and the parents are like, put your phone away. But I think it's Salem, you said we're we're aware of these things, but we do them anyways. Like we should, uh, we should be present with the people around us. Yeah, I don't think it's anything new, but we're still doing these things. We still get stuck in that loop. So yeah. maybe Michael Easter going into the wise, uh, and Rob, like you said, to have more awareness of what's going on will help us break some of those bad loops. Well said. I think awareness is key. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Are you overwhelmed by the countless number of sportsbook apps, trying to utilize each one's free bet promo, or having trouble remembering which one you placed that parlay bet on? Introducing OneBet. OneBet syncs all sportsbooks into one platform. Now, you can delete all 12 different sportsbook apps you currently use and place your wagers for all of them solely on OneBet. Feel super confident about a certain bet? Take advantage of OneBet's patented feature, All In, and apply that same bet across all sportsbooks at once. Now, instead of losing your kids' college savings over the course of one Sunday, you can lose it all over the course of a single game. Sign up for OneBet today and receive 10 free $100 bets by using promo code TAKETHEHOUSE. And now back to the show. So you mentioned gambling. In chapters one and two, the author uses gambling as an example to describe how the scarcity loop hooks us. And by kind of following along with the development of slot machines, specifically in Las Vegas, it's easy to see how far we've come in understanding the brain and this scarcity mindset. So the evolution of slot machines was mentioned in the first couple chapters here, and uh, it's pretty extreme. The slot machines of old were boring metal machines with three wheels that turned, I think he said, something like eight out of ten pulls of those wheels was loses. So you basically pull the wheel eight times, lose eight times in a row, and then maybe two out of ten times you win. Um, People barely wanted to play those. And now machines, as you guys know, entertain millions of people every year. And I think from what I was seeing, they rake in over half of all gambling revenue in U.S. casinos, at least. So Michael Easter, the author, visits the International Gaming Institute at UNLV, which is University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And there they have a lab slash casino with a lot of studies that have to do with how to make these things more enticing to us. And a lot of this is obviously funded by big companies such as casinos and others that build things like apps or entertainment uh, content. Probably by and large. In talking about gambling and casinos, one big thing that we've learned is that anybody who experiences too many losses is not going to continue repeating the same loop. So you have to let people win or at least think they're winning to keep in, to keep them engaged. And uh, he mentioned a study on animals, which I thought was pretty crazy. And it showed that the scarcity loop will lead to animals choosing behaviors that are akin to gambling where they're not actually winning anything more than they would otherwise. 
over other activities which have predictable rewards, even if the gambling type activities get them a lot less. So I think it was the predictable awards was going to give them 700% more, but they chose the gambling type activities anyway because of the loop effect, if you will. Also, they've made slot machines to where you can repeat this loop and play a thousand games in an hour while playing something like blackjack or poker might only allow for time for about 150 hands an hour. So that's a big advantage for slot machines. And then another realization was that people don't really gamble because they think they'll win money. They play because it's a hobby to them. It's fun. They like experiencing that feeling of, of that scarcity loop playing out over and over, even though if you look at it from a distance, you're like, wow, that's so repetitive. Isn't it boring yet? Well, obviously not. People, people will sit there all day and pull the lever. So when's the last time you guys gambled? And you know, now that you've taken a little bit of a peek behind the curtain and how things are manipulated, how are you going to feel next time you go into a casino? Man, we, we, Marianne and I went gambling like three times in October, September. We went down to Oklahoma and gambled like back to back nights, and it was kind of fun. We had like a group it's of like people. Fun date night. Yeah, it does sound fun. But then, like, we had gambled a couple weeks before that because she had opened, done, like, a grand opening at a new casino in KC. They employed her for that day, and we went back that night and gambled with her folks. And, yeah, I mean, it was fun and stuff, but, I mean, even... Matt, I'm sure you can relate with like the fantasy football. It's prime time, mm-hmm. fantasy football time, championships, playoffs yeah. are happening right now. Like I'm using my phone to access information to try and gain a competitive <laughs> edge against my competitors. Yeah. So like I'm falling into many loops right here. <laughs> but in and even this week, you see all these like Caesar bets, ESPN bet, do this code and you get free bets. I did it this week because it's like, shoot, you're telling me all I have to do is put like five dollars in and then you're going to give me fifty dollar bets that I could turn into who knows how much. And I think yeah. it's that that it's second piece of like the unpredictable yeah. reward. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a good control on what I'm willing to spend and willing to like keep it reasonable, right? Like I just put $15 in and then I got the $200. So it's like, okay, let's see what I can do with technically $15, knowing that I have enough control on the back yeah. end that I'm not going to like then do what they hope I'll do, which is yeah. dump hundreds, if not thousands of dollars back into it and really get sucked in and be the loser at the end. I'm trying to take it, quote, take advantage of them, but the house always wins. Yeah. I think there's some fun yeah. in it. I think there's some social in it. It's fun to yeah. gamble with your buddies. Like in fantasy, it's drawn yeah. out the whole season long. Minimally, I think it's small gambling over a long scale, but just being aware and having control of like what you actually want to, what are your limits? Rob, do you yeah. feel like that's been easy to do or has that been hard to do? Do you feel like you it's been easy to Okay, I, I cool. would say just because yeah. I'm currently first in two of my three leagues. Oh, oh, so, so it's, it's easy kind that of fun. Way also. <laughs> it's kind of fun to like look at the analytics and like utilize yeah. a different part of my and brain. See how much, see how much better it 
you are than other people. No, just just to like <laughs> use other strengths that I have to try and. That's I fair. mean, at the end of the day, you don't know what the players are going to yeah. do. So yeah. it, it's all luck, really, at the yeah. end of the day. But what was your question again? I mean, does it ruin it for you knowing knowing some of this stuff? You know, like it's hmm. a little bit like the last question where it's like, are we going to be able to change? Maybe I'm oblivious. I don't think that I am, though. But if you set a limit, so like I'm only willing to gamble $100 between fantasy and side bets or whatever, it's like, okay, it's $100 for five-month season of football. That's that's fun. And then if there's an opportunity to potentially go up $700 or whatever, like, I don't know. What about you other guys? You guys gambling, been gambling lately? I've been to a casino two times in my life. Once Buff- was... Buffalo Run? No, I never, I never, oh, man. Run. I've never really been willing to actually spend money on real like casino type gambling. The first time I went to a casino was on our honeymoon in Costa Rica. Mm. And Emily and I, it was in the afternoon and we were just trying to kill time explore the resort and there was a casino right across the street so we walked in first of all neither of us know how to gamble or play these casino type games and so we were just like walking around it was completely empty except for maybe one person in there everything was in spanish (laughs) we, we didn't know what we were getting into anyways and we put a dollar into one of the slot machines and then i pushed a lever and nothing happened (laughs) <laughs> like, didn't even move my dollar it didn't even move i guess i'm done now let's just leave <laughs> that's so funny. that wasn't that that didn't have quick repeatability yeah yeah <laughs> no. that's funny and then the second time was in we went to vegas for one of my brother's weddings and it was fun just hanging out with family but i did a couple of things i think i spent a total of twenty dollars most of that was on roulette, and I think we got some of it back. That's my extent of actual casino gambling. It's just not my thing. It's not for me. For me, it, it kind of plays out in other ways. I spend money on other things that will give me an adrenaline rush or just things that I enjoy doing, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So for me, video games and books are what I like to spend my money on, my extra money on. I guess you could say that's somewhat of a gamble because I don't know how the books are going to turn out. I don't know how the video games are going to turn out. Now, there's nothing super positive about either of those things. The books that I do buy for myself are usually just fantasy books, so I'm not like learning about anything. It's a completely separate reality. Have you gotten into that fourth wing yet? I have not. I've seen it going around a lot. I have too many books on my list, though. <laughs> but yeah, there's like there's nothing really about those things that are helping me become a better person. You know, for video games, it's just for pleasure. And I can talk to friends about playing those video games. Same with books. But in the long run, it's just, you know, we're talking about a game, you know, a different reality. So, yeah, Yeah, but it builds community. It's It's funny that a lot of these things are so relational, you know, like even when we were talking about alcohol, like that's something most of the time people do together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting. That these loops yeah, kind of go hand in hand with relationships. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. 
My, my history with gambling is extremely similar to Matt's. I've only been to a couple of casinos. Ruth and I had a similar story where we put some money into a machine, and I think we bet it all on the first spin on a slot machine and we lost, and so then that was it. <laughs> yeah, sounds like us. I do really recall enjoying Thomas's bachelor party. Thomas's bachelor party was in yes, was in Vegas. How long ago is that now? Like six years ago, maybe. Dude, how you been? How long you been married for now, Thomas? Uh, a little less than six years, maybe. It's a good thing Camille doesn't always listen, right? Uh, It's all right. Uh, She probably doesn't know exactly how long either. uh, Anyways, great time. Myself and Andrew that week were the only two that did not gamble at all. Or like pretty much didn't gamble at all. I think we were there like either three or four nights. The last night, you guys were at a blackjack table and I remember standing with Andrew and basically doing the thing we did every every the previous nights when we did casinos, him and I would just talk and kind of walk around. That last night he was like, you know, I think I wanna like I think I wanna try a slot machine. And I was like, Oh yeah, let's do it. And so we went to some we went like far away. I don't know why I went walked so far away, but it was like some like kitty. Kitty, kitty glitter. Machine. Kitty yeah. glitter, dude. <laughs> I love kitty glitter. And I, I think you I've put like that. I think you put like twenty dollars in. Damn. And within like like a minute, it was like four hundred. Like, yeah. And oh, I, was I remember like, that. I remember. Yeah. Wow. This is why people get hooked. And like yep. I just remember thinking so vividly of like, wow, like it was so quick. The first few spins. He probably played 10 more minutes and it dwindled down to like maybe like 250. But like he came out like well on top. But it was just like this very like fun experience with someone who also didn't gamble. And, and then he had this great success. And for all we know now, he's uh, lost all of his money because he's addicted to gambling now. Because <laughs> that's no, enticing, he's doing, right? Like, he's doing like, good. He's doing uh, good. Yeah. But I remember like that happening. And I was just like, oh, man, maybe I should. Maybe I should yeah. try now. Like, you know, so that's that reminds one of my favorite gambling stories was ever Garrett and I were the last in Vegas for Thomas's bachelor party. And we were like grabbing lunch at the Golden Nugget. And I had been chasing the same numbers in roulette the entire weekend. And I wasn't really hitting. And I, I think I only took like 150 to bet or something like that. And I was down to my last $10 and I put it all on like 23 and I was like, all right, Garrett, this is it. I'm doing it. And so we, it spins and it won 350 bucks. And Garrett and I were hooting and hollering in the golden nugget at like two o'clock on a Sunday. And it was just, if you can imagine Garrett, I mean, he was just, just what? so yeah, just so <laughs> loud uh, with his laugh, and uh, it, it was fun, man. I don't know. Yeah. There's some fun. It's entertaining. Like, it's as long as you have, like, yeah. If you treat yeah. it like yeah. going to a movie, yeah, um, for sure. Where it's like, it's okay, I'm gonna go to a movie for two hours, and I'm gonna spend this. I'm not gonna yeah. take anything home from it except the memory and how I felt from the movie. It's like, yeah, yeah. If you treat yeah. it, it can like be, a, it can be fun. It can be fun for sure. Yeah. So, the last time I gambled was actually in Japan. We went to Japan in September. 
there's this game called Pachinko that's kind of this weird... It's like a slot machine mixed with a mini pinball machine kind of thing. Yeah. And you get, you get like... We walked into this pachinko place because we were walk. We were just like exploring Tokyo the whole week, and we walked past like a million of these places. And I was like, "We got to go in and, and like drop ten bucks and just see what it's like," you know. So we go in. I couldn't figure anything out. I was going in thinking I was going to be like, "Check this out! I'm going to show you how to do pachinko." <laughs> My wife is going to be impressed or something. And I, I had to ask, like, I had to ask, like, the little, like, 19 year old stewardess Japanese girl, like, hey, can you help me? <laughs> like, I don't know how to play. <laughs> but it's just like a slot machine, essentially, except you get to direct these little, like, ball bearings where to go on the machine. And uh, it's okay. really loud. If you win, like you get all these ball bearings and it's it's kind of more fun than a slot machine because you get all these physical little silver balls and then you can use those as credits to play even more. We lost instantly, obviously, because we didn't really know what we were doing and the house always wins, like you guys said. But I did some research on this because I was curious because I have heard that Pachinko actually has kind of a dark history in Japan. Like they went through some sometimes earlier on in the history of pachinko that like the game just decimated a lot of the working class because they got addicted to it yeah. so for 2023 the u.s gambling revenue is expected to be about 55 billion dollars mm. we have double the amount of people than japan does roughly in japan the game of pachinko alone in 2021, had a revenue of $133 billion. Wow. Wow. So wow. they're over double our entire gambling revenue, and they have half as many people. That's wild. And, and most people in the U.S. haven't even heard of that. So I was pretty blown away to, to learn that that was such a moneymaker over there. Yeah. I like to do the... Um, so you can't gamble in Hawaii, but when I go back to the mainland, I like to do, especially if there's like a big jackpot, like a Powerball lotto ticket or something. Oh, uh, yep. And it's kind of that anticipation thing like, oh, I only come back home every once in a while, but I'm going to spend 10, buck or 10 bucks on a lotto ticket and maybe I'll win $250 million. <laughs> you know? See, that's, that's kind of fun. That's that dopamine that he's talking about, though. Yeah. It's like yeah. j you start to envision what you'd spend it on and, and how your life could change. And you go there yeah. mentally before the numbers have even been called. They equate that to like a crackhead literally right before like he gets the crack that it's that feeling that, that level of high, that feeling around knowing like, Oh my gosh, my life could change. Or I could feel so good soon. What's crazy about that, though, and it goes back to what you were saying with, like, the movie, going to the movies, Rob. I mean, we've all been in a situation where you're with your partner or some friends, and you're like, what would we do? And, like, that's yeah. a form of entertainment, right? Like, yeah, like, okay, we just won $500 million. What are you spending the first 10 on? You know, and it's just, like, a way we entertain ourselves at times. And, again, it's like, it's not all bad. It's a way to get to someone's motivations you know it's a good way to get to someone's like what they value it's a way to get to know people at times with that i will say since we're producing this and sharing it 
just because our experiences with gambling have not been detrimental doesn't mean that that's <laughs> encouraged necessarily. I mean, yeah. you could probably talk to a lot of people that are like, do not step foot in a casino. Yeah. Do not yeah. ever even download the online betting app, even if you get five free bets or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there are certain people that I know have been just absolutely ruined for their whole life. Yeah. I've known guys that have literally banned themselves. So like if they were to show up on casino grounds, it would be yeah. trespassing themselves and because it's gotten that bad. Yeah. And I think maybe what's yeah. important to note with that too is that like that there definitely is a dark side to it. And it's about knowing your limits and, you know, knowing what you can control. And I mean, like sometimes, you know, certain individuals and, you know, may have more tendency to not be able to control things. And I think we all have, we all have our vices. We all have the areas that like cause us to struggle and fail. And for some people, gambling is a huge one, right? I think on that note, Thomas, it's just important to note like that. Yeah, it's, it is something to take seriously. And although there can be fun to it, it's like, yeah, there's, there's the dark side to it. And someone who has experienced that, or maybe had a loved one on the dark side, as I was reading this chapter, I was like, oh man, you would hate, hate the casino industry knowing how much research is putting into how can we trick people to like stay yeah. longer, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. it's sad. It is sad. You know, that's but, the slave yeah. part that I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Or he says zombies in here too. But one thing that's, that's funny. Well, it's not funny, but as you're talking about that Stalin and I've said it, I've fallen victim to it. How many of us have said, and maybe it's not all about gambling. Maybe it's that extra piece of chocolate, but it's like, all right, just one more. Just one more. All right, after yeah. this, I'm done. Yeah. I promise. You know, yeah. and it's like, all right, one more game of Smash Brothers. And then Smash, It you know, we're 15 <laughs> games Seriously. after. Yeah. It, it goes to show you how, like, yeah, here I am, like, vulnerably saying, like, no, I, it's just 15 bucks. Like, and then I'm going to get the free 200 who knows maybe it won't be maybe it'll be more so just like being aware that as much as we think we're in control at the end of the day this stuff is strong and there's a lot of forces going against us especially chemicals that that we might not have as much control of yeah how do we how do we stay strong against that how do we actually have a limit and cut it off so that it doesn't become a problem yeah. I mean, that, and that's one thing when you have like a spouse or like a close friendship where, I mean, I know how many times with Ruth have I said, hey, help me with this, help me with that. And uh, Ruth has been there and been able to do so graciously. It may not always be something where she totally agrees with me. And so maybe she approaches it differently. But having, if you can't, I mean, I think one thing, Thomas, you talked about at the beginning about how knowing this kind of idea of how we get in the scarcity loop, how, how can we avoid it? Or, you know, does that change the way you view it? And I think a big thing that is always helpful in every area is like having accountability with yeah. like people in your life of that are going to call you on stuff. And, you know, if you know, you're not doing well in a certain area, then talk about it with someone. Yeah. I mean, the truth is if, if you have 24 hours in a day, there's going to be hours in every day that you're over 50% chance going to mindlessly fall into some sort of a oh, yeah. instinctual Something's- activity. It's impossible not to fall into your instincts 
sometimes, right? But if yeah. you have other people kind of looking out for you, you're right. Like you have a much more high likelihood of succeeding and doing the things you want to do or not, or avoiding the things you don't want to do that much, you know? Yeah. That's a good point. I think we, as men in civilized society, I think we underestimate our instincts, you know, and, and the way that we're wired. I mean, we're 99% the same DNA as, as a chimpanzee. We're, we're going to have a lot of strong instincts to, to fight against in order to live in the modern world in a way that's like beneficial to us. Yeah. To kind of wrap it up. And I am jumping ahead here into the third chapter, but one of the quotes that stood out to me, Michael Easter, he actually quotes uh, William James, born in 1842, who is considered the father of American psychology. But he says, in the end, our life is ultimately a collection of what we pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. So as you guys are thinking about this and reflecting and reading, and then we'll connect next week. What are you guys paying attention to in your life? Well, that wraps up our episode for the Books Brothers podcast. Next week, we will review and discuss chapters three through five of Scarcity Brain. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't yet, buy or borrow the book and follow along with us. Please subscribe and give us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Also, please consider sharing this podcast with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. Finally, we'd love to hear from you. If you are challenged by our conversation or have any questions or feedback, email us at connect at booksbrotherspodcast.com. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Until then, read, reflect, and connect.